I will praise you. We will praise you for you have already answered our prayers before we even voice them. And you have become our salvation, our deliverance. We do hold before you our brother John Hennigan and his wife Karen. Lord, we're asking that you would cleanse him of this brain tumor. Deliver him from all of its effects. Completely set him free. And that your spirit of power and of goodness would be upon him. We pray that in exactly the same way for Julie Ottaway right here. That you will cleanse her pancreas of the issues that's causing it to revolt and take the pain away from her. Likewise, Beth Ann, that you will cleanse her lungs of the issues that keep her debilitated. We are asking for a complete welcome of her that her lungs would welcome all of the oxygen and become operate at the level of efficiency that you designed them to operate at and for our sister Karen Cap our sister Ginger our brother Lloyd their mobility issues that you will address those in a way that is beyond their expectation you have already answered and for Cole Oates, Lord, that you will completely restore his brain. Lord, Marcia Tope, for many, many years, has been dealing with this issue of sensitivity to all these chemicals because of a significant event that happened many years ago. We are asking that you will cleanse her of these things. We do ask for my own voice. The Lord, you will, it feels fine, it just sounds horrible. We just ask that the cause of that, the drainage and so forth, would be addressed completely. For our brother Doug Irvin, that you will walk him through the process and, and his children walk them through the process of dealing with the loss of his wife, their mother, Leona. For the Miller finances, Lord, that you will magnify yourself in their need as you more than abundantly meet it. And for Dorothy and the issues at work, again, that you will address those personalities and those issues. For Mike's sister, Pat Whitethorn, Lord, there's been great progress there. We ask for more. For his daughter, Kara, and a spirit of reconciliation, we ask that that would take place. And Lord, we thank you for the Mitchell family and the good things. The new grandchild that's been born, we ask for more. And we do ask for the person that he mentioned, Brooke, that you will step in and make a name for yourself in that person's experience. And our Lord, we do ask for the Shriner University ministry that you will continue to open doors and that we will see a great harvest take place on that campus of both students and staff. We do pray for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people worldwide, that you will pour out on them a spirit of understanding and repentance 
likewise for the United States of America. Lord, this nation is in a, a, a course of rebellion such as most of us never thought we would ever see. And we're witnessing it. But you are the one who pours out revival, new life, light, and life. We ask for that for this nation. And may it begin here in the Texas Hill Country. And we do ask for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around this world, who are paying such a high price because of their loyalty to you. We ask that they would continue to do that, but that you would also protect them and give them boldness in the face of their persecutors that the difference between Jesus and all the false gods will be obvious. We ask for ourselves, for the balance of this time together, that you will magnify yourself as the word of God is open, that you will be the teacher. We ask this of you, good King Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. And this chance to stand up, <laughs> number 563. just going to sing the first verse open my eyes that I may see open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free silently now i wait for thee ready my god thy will to see open my eyes illumine me spirit divine thank you you may be seated Matthew chapter 13. As we go through Matthew's gospel, we have seen Jesus presented and presenting himself the first chapter opens with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, the Son of, the son of David, the Son of Abraham. And then it goes through the genealogy of Jesus all the way from Abraham to his birth. He is a son of David. He has the legal right to the throne of Israel through his legal father, Joseph. The Gospel of Luke presents a genealogy of Jesus. It's not the same genealogy. Why is that? Because it's the genealogy of his mother. And she is also a descendant of David, by the way. So it all comes together through his actual mother, 
Mary, from whom he draws all of his humanity, and his legal father, Joseph. But Jesus is, as the Nicene Creed accurately depicts it, he is true God of true God, true man of true man, fully God, fully man, not half God, half man. Fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. That's important. Because when Jesus is worshipped, he has a right to the worship. He is fully God. Where is he worshipped? He is the Magi. Matthew chapter 2. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And then the Magi come from the Mesopotamian Valley from the Tigris Euphrates Valley and they come into Jerusalem and they find Herod the Great and they say where is he who was born king of the Jews Herod the Great was not born king of the Jews he's not even a Jew he's an Edomian who was appointed king of the Jews by the Romans and they come and this is a gigantic threat the Magi come and say there is someone who's been born king of the Jews well pretending to be a nice guy which he is absolutely not they Herod says okay I will consult the theologians and so he consults the theologians and they say well it's found in the prophet Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and so Herod the king says to the Magi, he's keeping the theologians separate from the Magi. He doesn't want them getting together. He tells the Magi, you go find him in Bethlehem. And then when you've found him, let me know where he is so I can join you in worshiping him. By the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says there were only three Magi. That whole we three kings of Orient are is not they presented three great gifts but there was probably a whole lot more than three in fact there was so many of them that it says in Matthew 2 that when they showed up in Jerusalem they were up the people in Jerusalem took note of it and were very upset they were very it created a lot of turmoil in these guys it hadn't been very many years before that a Roman Empire had led an army over there to defeat these people and instead they got wiped out by these people and now these men show up and they want to come so they can worship the new king of the Jews and they go to Bethlehem they come out of Jerusalem and I know I grew up with this too they came out of Jerusalem and all those pictures you saw growing up show they're coming they're leaving Jerusalem at night and they're following us it doesn't say anything about they left at night why would they leave at night they came out of Jerusalem and they saw his star and they followed a star to a specific house and it hovered over a specific house. That's not a star in the heavens. What is it? It's probably the Shekinah glory of God, the glory of his presence that they're following and it hovers over a certain house. And it says, and then when they went into the house, they worshiped him. This toddler presented these three magnificent gifts and probably many more. 
And then they were warned by God, don't go back and notify Herod. He was lying to you. So they sneaked out. And when Herod discovered they had sneaked out, he got really angry. Well, God had already warned Joseph, the legal father of Jesus, you need to get the child and his mother and take them to Egypt. Because Herod plans no good thing. So Joseph has already done that when Herod discovers that the Magi have disappeared. And so he commands the killing of all of the boys in the region of Bethlehem, two years old and below. Based on when the Magi told him they saw the star well in the east. It was probably two years before. He's worshipped. He is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. And then he comes back. He's born in Bethlehem, prophesied by Micah. Then out of Egypt I have called my son. That's another prophecy about him. And then he is, when Joseph and, the, and Mary and the child come back, they go to Nazareth. And it, that's the third prophecy. He will be called a Nazarene. And a lot, of, especially Jewish people say, well, wait a minute, there's no prophecy in the Old Testament that says he'll be called a Nazarene. Oh, yes, there is. Nazareth is a synonym, is a homonym. It sounds the same as the word branch. The consonants are the same consonants. And he is more than once in the Old Testament. It says he will be a branch from the house of David. So three before when Jesus is still a child, he's fulfilling prophecy. And then John the Baptist begins his ministry. Chapter three, and he is out in the wilderness portraying Israel in judgment. Because the Hebrews know that in the coming of the kingdom of God, it will be preceded by a time of great judgment. And he is portraying that period. He's out in the wilderness. He's wearing animal skins. He's eating locusts and wild honey. As they would if they had no food to eat. And the people are coming to him from everywhere into the wilderness. And hearing him preach this message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your orientation. Change your orientation. Change your outlook. Because the uh, reality is about to be initiated that you better get in step with. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills the rest of the kingdom prophecy. He is portraying kingdom glory. And he's eating and drinking. He's going to the parties. They were both portraying different aspects of the kingdom promise. But notice John the Baptist when the Pharisees and the, Sa and the scribes came to him and the Sadducees. You vipers! <coughs> you snakes! These are the religious leaders. You snakes! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I want to see fruit from you that says you've actually repented. And don't you think that, oh, hey, we, are, we got it made in the shade. We are really righteous people. We're sons of Abraham. God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. Don't trust in the wrong thing. And then Jesus comes to him. 
Oh, he also says the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And every tree that does not bear good fruit will be thrown into the fire. And then Jesus comes. And John the Baptist, he comes for baptism. Why are you coming to me for baptism? You would need to be baptizing me. Let it be so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And so he baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, John witnesses that he saw the Holy Spirit come down on him in the form of a dove. He heard a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he testified of that to his own disciples. And then we have Jesus going 40 days in the wilderness. No eating. And then following the 40 days... He becomes hungry. Now, I went into this in some detail when we were there. That sounds so weird to us. I mean, I get hungry. I'm hungry all the time. What are you talking about? I can go. I had a friend that actually did his master's on this. His master's thesis. If you stop eating entirely, only drink water, about the third day you'll stop being hungry. Your body will simply turn away from the digestive system and start tapping into their stored resources. And a typical amount of stored resources, putting that politely, that the human race has, about the 40th day, you will have used it up. And then you will get hungry, and that's your body signaling to you, you've started to starve to death. And it was at that point when he became hungry uh, after the 40 days that Satan came to him and said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replied, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he set Jesus on a on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you cast yourself down, these people, you know, they will worship you. You don't need to go through that cross. No, I will not do that. And then he puts them on a high mountain and he shows them all the glory of all the kings. If you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all of this. You won't need the cross to achieve it. And Jesus says, away with you, Satan, for you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And Satan fled. And Jesus began his ministry. And, as, and he is in the area of Galilee. And people are coming, start coming to him from everywhere. And he is healing. He's calling apostles. He's calling the disciples. But they also, he's speaking in the synagogues. He speak, and they are bringing to him people from everywhere. John the Baptist healed no one. Jesus is healing everyone. And they are even bringing him, it says, they're bringing him people from Syria. That's Gentile land. And he is cleansing lepers, healing epileptics. He's, he, he's raising the dead. He's doing all these things. There's nothing that they are asking of him that he's not able to do. And he's doing it all. And then chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount where he goes up on a mountain. Just as Moses was, went up on a mountain to meet with God, Jesus goes up on a mountain, takes his seat, and the people come up to him. And we have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Sermon on the Mount. 
and Jesus preaches the gospel. He's preaching gospel. He's doing all these miracles. He's explaining the gospel clearly. Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. But then in Matthew 13, things start, there's a turn in the narrative. He has been hammering, headbutting with the Jewish leadership one passage after another. It is incessant. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And now in Matthew 13, there's a turn in Jesus' tactics. And he begins to speak to the people in a cloudy way. He starts using parables. Instead of plain statements, he's using parables. Matthew 13, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus has not been teaching this way before. And it causes consternation on the part of the apostles. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why this new way of presenting the truth? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. Are they seeing? Yes, they are seeing. But no, they're not seeing. And hearing, they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, and we read this earlier, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men shall desire to see what you see 
excuse me, desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus' communication tactic has changed. Instead of, instead of speaking plainly to the crowds, to the people, he's now speaking in parables where if they really want to understand, they're going to have to think about it. They're going to have to piece things together. Why would he do that? Because many of those who are hearing, they're hearing, but not believing it. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, notice, those who hear and do, they built their house on the rock. It will survive the events of life. But those who hear these sayings of he who hears everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The distinction isn't hearing, the distinction is doing. Everyone is hearing. His speech is plain as can be. They're all hearing, but some will follow through and do, and their houses, they will be built on a rock. Those who hear and don't do, their lives will collapse. It's not what you know. It's what you do from what you know. And so Jesus has had audience after audience after audience, throngs of people. He's been speaking plainly to them. But many of them, while they are hearing, they are not doing. They are hearing, but not doing. And I'm going to suggest something to you that is not stated plainly in the text. Jesus is being kind. If you know that you are speaking a plain message to someone, for which they will be responsible. And they're not going to heed it. Are you not, in fact, putting them in a worse place than if you had said nothing at all that they had, could understand? And so why is Jesus now speaking in parables? Because there are people here who are hearing but not doing. And rather than heighten and heighten and heighten their responsibility and their guilt and what they will have to answer for on the day of judgment, I'm going to speak in a parable so that those who want to know, those who are crying out to God, the Holy Spirit, the revealer of truth, to reveal the truth to them, they will understand it. They will 
wrestle with the parable and come to the right conclusion. And they will step into the kingdom blessing that is intended. But the guilt will not rest as heavily on those who heard but did not do. Why? Because they heard words, but they didn't get the message. They weren't that interested. Why do you speak to them in parables? Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they are seeing, but they do not see. They are hearing, but they do not understand. Many of you have been in this congregation in years past. One of the men that has been here several times. I really, really, really hesitate to say this. But if there's anybody on planet Earth that we could say is a modern day apostle, it would be this man, Seton Lee. Of Cambodia. Seton Lee was a Buddhist who, when Pol Pot took over Cambodia, his grandparents, they were in the Buddhist temple bathing, a big ceremony. The temple is packed. They're bathing, which they did once a year, the idol of Buddha. And Pol Pot's troops broke in. His grandparents ran that temple. They were very wealthy people. And his grandparents were murdered right in front of his eyes. He's about 15 or 16 years old. And many people were killed. And he was taken and put into a concentration camp. He was in that concentration camp for nearly five years before he escaped. And I, we don't have time for me to go into even what I know about his testimony. Every time he comes, we learn a little more because I don't think he dares tell us the whole story at once because we go, uh, that's not bad. But about 16 years ago, having gone back in 1990, Cambodia opened up and the people who had, and he and his wife had come to the United States. They were living in Colorado when Cambodia opened up. So they went to the front of their church and said, who will take our children? We're going back to Cambodia. And a couple, both of them physicians with no children, stepped forward and say, we said, we will take responsibility for your children. And so Sitan and his wife flew back to Cambodia. And I won't go into all the details. That was in 1990. It was about 2001. He met with one of secretly met with one of Paul Pot's old upper echelon cabinet and explained the gospel to that man. And in the northern part of Cambodia, there were 35,000 Khmer Rouge communist Paul Pot followers who were still in the northern part of Cambodia governing that area and you couldn't get near these people there were landmines everywhere and he said to this former cabinet member of Pol Pot I would like to speak to the general that is commanding those troops 
And he said, well, I'll do my best. And about six months later, word came to Seton. Yes, he's consented to speaking with you. Be at this op- be at this opening place in the jungle. There will be two guys there with a motorbike, and you will go with them to meet with this general. Now, three guys on a motorbike sounds really horrible to us, but that's standard operating procedure in Cambodia, okay? So three, Seton with these other two guys on a motorbike, they made their way. It was like 19 hours going through the jungle. They knew where the landmines were. He gets to the campsite where this general is with his wife and about six-year-old daughter. Here's his chance to share the gospel with this man. And he starts to speak to this man and he says, I want to tell you about a God who will never leave you. And the man said, I want to hear about that God because my old God, Pal Pot, is under a piece of tin right over there, buried in the ground. I started following him when I was 12 years old, and now he's left me. I want to know about a God who won't leave me. And Zetan said, great, let me explain this God to you. And, oh, wait, I don't think you'd be interested. No, I think I'll just... No, no, really, I want to know. Are you sure? Yes, yes, okay. And he started to explain. And then he stopped after about the... No, I don't think you'd be... No, I want to know. I want to know. Okay, and so he... Then he stopped again. <laughs> I don't think you're really the person for your response. No, please, please. Within six minutes, that man and his wife and his little girl are in the kingdom. And he started discipling his communist Khmer Rouge soldiers. He started planting, turning, he started creating churches. And when Seton got back to Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia, the Cambodian government, who did not like Seton, he was a problem person. He is now the national hero because he just, let me change that, Jesus just, through Seton, had removed the biggest security threat to the nation of Cambodia, that man with 35,000 troops along the border with Thailand. But I want, the reason for my citing that is, what did he do? Instead of just charging forward, he just, no, I'm not. The man wanted to, he, he demonstrated a desperation to know, to hear, to hear, to hear, to see, to see, to see. And so he, what is the point of parables? It is Jesus testing the hearer. Do you really want to hear? Do you really want to see? Then put something into it. Now, these parables aren't exactly complex, but it does require some thought. But he's actually preventing extra condemnation on those who aren't willing to hear and that's clear from the parable itself he explains the parable in verses 18 to 23 
Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Let me explain this to you, my apostles, my disciples. The title of this message is Soil Test. Ask yourself as we read this passage, which one of these kinds of soils am I? There's a sower, and the sower is doing the same thing in every environment with every kind of soil. The seed is the same seed, regardless of what kind of soil it lands on. The distinction is in the soils. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. And so as the sower is sowing the seed, some of it lands on the pathway, the hardened pathway, hardened because of the foot traffic. It lands on that hard surface and just sits there, and the birds come right down and snatch it up. By the way, birds, when they're used as a metaphor in the Scripture, they are used as a metaphor for demons, for fallen angels. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. And we have all witnessed people to whom we've either seen someone else explain the truth to them or we've explained the gospel truth to them and they just shrug it off and walk away. Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. As soon as there's a real test of obedience issue he's out of there he's gone he's gone because he has no root in himself now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful now, let me say something here. This passage isn't just for you folks. This is as much for me as anyone. And I have to, as I am describing these different kinds of soils to you, I have to be asking myself, of what sort of soil am I? Do I let the cares of this world, do I let the values of this world choke the word or do I pursue God's kingdom he endures for a while but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word 
and he becomes unfruitful. And this is the person that is going great guns, they're growing, and, and then they become distracted by the, the advertising of the world. And they start believing false promises from the world. And the cares of this world, what is the promise of God about our cares? I will meet all of your needs. We just had an expression, a desire for that financial needs would be met. Will the financial needs be met? Yes. Have you been tested before? Yes. Have the test, have the, has he been faithful in the test before? A hundred percent of the time. That doesn't, would to God, this is my preference, God's smarter than me, <laughs> one test would be enough, Lord. God says no. Why? Because the testing increases your strength. It increases your consistency of trust in me. And that's where your strength comes from. But here's someone who is tested and they can't withstand the test. And so they go out and try to solve the problem in some other way than authentically trusting in God. He received the seed among the thorns as he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And there are some people that experience such great success. I don't need God's blessing. Look at me. Mm, there's this fellow Bill Gates, for example, that has this wonderful mansion out there on an island just outside of Seattle. Blessing from God? Eh. What does the scripture say? That's all going to collapse. By the way, I think it's very interesting. This mansion is built on a very fragile area. If there is a significant earthquake there, his mansion is just going to go right down into the ground. That's how weird that whole confidence is. But that's simply a something we can point to but that's the reality for everybody that has their wealth or what they think as their wealth or prosperity built on something other than god himself but the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful instead of pursuing god and being fruitful in god's kingdom he pursues other things and his fruit is found somewhere else and it creates nothing for his benefit ultimately verse 23 but he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it so he's received the word he's understood it and it's a parable so he has to grapple with it for a little while before the fullness of the understanding comes to him but he's understood it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold. I'll take that. Some 60 and some 30. But they're all producing fruit. Not everyone at the same level, but they're all bearing fruit. And I have to ask myself, of what sort of soil am I? What sort of soil am I? Am I one of these ones that the word of God just has bounced on? Now I present myself as something else.
but does the word of God just bounce off my cranium or am I one of these very shallow people that rejoices with joy and I tell you what I have had this experience so many times of people who have come to the church and they've never been and I mean at the end of the worship service they say wow and they are so excited this church is the greatest thing since sliced bread we're going to be coming and I know I'm, I'm waiting for the first instance when this doesn't happen I'm thinking now they're not lying to me oh no no they are totally authentic. They are not lying to me. They are going to be here for the rest of their lives. That's their intention. Okay. Zip lip. I never see them again. They're not lying to me. But I never see them again. And then there are the people that hear it and make progress and then it's all of a sudden they just kind of quietly maybe remain seated maybe keep up the tradition of coming to but they aren't bearing fruit for the kingdom and then there are others who do as they hear it they are growing and it makes a difference not only for them but in the lives of the people surrounding them and that's what Jesus experienced you know you think hey Jesus he's the son of God Everybody's going to hear him. No, far, 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 far more people walked away from Jesus and stayed with him. And you couldn't outdo Jesus as far as skill in presenting God's truth. And yet, so many more people left him than stayed with him. Ask yourself. I'm asking you to, and I will be doing this myself, in the days to come seriously ask asking myself what sort of soil am i really not just as i appear to other people but in god's eyes what would he say about me let's pray our lord we thank you that you love us so much that you track us down you lay hold of us. You present us with your truth. We are asking that you will give us that heart to respond, that heart to embrace, that heart to welcome your word and be doers of the word, believers in the word, tracking with the word in our tribulations, in our persecutions, in our tests, that you will be magnified, mighty God and King. We ask this of you, Savior Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's close by simply singing the chorus of number 305, Jesus Paid It All. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.